Well, this morning, I'm going to do a sermon about a guy that you've heard of before, but let me ask you this morning, how many tree climbers, I didn't say tree huggers, I said, how many tree climbers do I have in the house today? Okay, I want to make it easier for some of us. How many of us used to climb trees at one time? Amen? Yeah, that's more like it. Well, when I was a kid, I used to love to climb trees. There wasn't a tree that I saw that I didn't try to climb. Uh, I remember especially this one, my favorite tree was about a block away from our house, this huge apple tree. In the summertime, I would crawl up in the top of that tree, reach out and eat apples for hours. It was amazing. You know, climbing trees is kind of a rite of passage growing up, amen? I mean, that's just what we do. Yeah, why do we climb them? Because we can, right? Well, I remember several years ago, my son Austin, when he was little, and his cousin Chad were in Grandma Jean's care, and she took them down to Aunt Pam's house. Aunt Pam had a tree in the yard, and the boys thought, that's a good climbing tree, and they wanted to climb the tree, but I do believe that Grandma Jean and Aunt Pam both told them no, and Austin, being a preacher's kid, did the opposite. He climbed up the tree, fell out of the tree, and he got this. Take a look at this. Take a look at that arm. Ouch. He got a gooseneck of a break. That's, that hurts me to look at that. I still remember that. I thought, oh, my gosh. They had to take him all the way to the hospital with a two-before strapped to his arm just to keep him out of pain. That was a bad break from climbing a tree. Well, today, I want to talk about a guy in the Bible. If you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard of this guy. He's another guy that climbed a tree. We gloss over this story a lot of times, thinking it's only a kid's story. But I believe there is a lot in this story and some things that God wants us to hear and God wants us to see, and it goes a whole lot further than what we learned on flannel graph in Sunday school. It goes a lot further than our Sunday school lesson about this guy. I want to pick it up in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. To give you a little background on tax collector, let's just say tax collector is probably not going to be on anybody's favorite list of jobs. I'll just say that. I read an article about the term IRS. It became so unpopular that they decided they were going to change it, and they were going to call it tax policy compliance director. Makes you feel a whole lot better about the IRS. Not really. But back then, the tax collector was more than just an unpopular government official. They were thought of as thieves and traitors. By the Jewish people, they thought of the tax collectors as uh, thieves and traitors because they weren't only stealing, they were working for the hated Roman government, the Roman Empire. A tax collector was seen as being, you might say, on the same level as a robber, on the same level as a murderer. That kind of tells you a little bit about how they were thought of in that culture. Jewish courts wouldn't even consider the testimony of a tax collector because they were so corrupt. And his money would never be accepted to be given to the poor because they just assumed this isn't his money in the first place. It's stolen. He's robbed somebody. It belongs to someone else. These guys would collect huge sums of money. I mean big money from their own people while working for the Roman government. And guess what they would do? they would put a big chunk of that money in their pockets and they would get filthy rich. And if people didn't comply when they asked them for their tax money, they would have them beaten or they would even have them murdered. And they were doing this for Rome against their neighbors, 
against their friends, even against their family, people they grew up with. I said all that to say, can you imagine a worse type of person than that? And this guy I'm describing this morning, Zacchaeus, was one of those guys. He was a social outcast. He was a misfit. Probably couldn't even have gotten a date on a calendar. Amen? You'll catch that later. Let me ask you, let me really though ask you, how much did money have to have a hold of Zacchaeus' heart? Yeah, how much did money have to have a hold of Zacchaeus' heart for him to live that way, for him to treat his own family, other people like that? Because no one deliberately betrays their family uh, normally. I mean, that's just not the normal response. But Zacchaeus was a man that was so possessed by his love for money that he was willing to lie, cheat, steal. He was willing to sell out even his own family to get it. Look what it says in verse 3. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Think about the timing of this whole thing. Jesus' fame and his name is spreading all over the place, all over Palestine. The man who could raise the dead, the man who could walk on the water, the man who could calm the storm, the man who could feed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. This guy was coming to Jericho. Everybody was excited about it. The streets were jam-packed. All the front seats were taken. It was a standing room crowd only. The only seats I'll say that were left were the bleacher seats, and I'll just call them the trees, okay? That were the only seats that were left. And here's the thing. If a guy is short, think about it. You don't mind if they stand in front of you. They're not going to block your view, right? Well, these guys hated Zacchaeus so much. This crowd hated Zacchaeus so much because, again, he's a tax collector stealing and robbing from them that they didn't want him even near them. I can just imagine them giving him the old elbow, maybe a kick or two, sending him on down the line, saying, maybe we're not moving for you, you disgusting pig, get out of here, you wee little bad man. <laughs> so what's the song say? He climbs up in the sycamore tree, if you remember, for the Lord he wanted to see. Amen? He climbed up in that tree to get a better view of Jesus. It's sad to say, but sometimes Christians can be the most unchristlike people on the planet. Sometimes their actions don't line up with their word, with their faith. To those of you who are searching for Jesus, let me just tell you this today. Don't let Jesus' hypocritical, judgmental, self-righteous, because there are a lot of them, admirers, keep you from getting a glimpse of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you're intrigued about this whole Jesus thing. Maybe you haven't made a full-on commitment to him. But maybe you're also a little bit turned off by what you've seen other Christians and how they've lived their life, judgmentally, uh, uh, hypocritically, condemning. And they've given you a perverted view of what really the truth is. Think about it. Zacchaeus had to climb a tree to get above Jesus' followers to see Jesus. Zacchaeus had to climb up in a tree to get above Jesus' followers to see Jesus. I'm just saying maybe you need to do that some days. Sometimes we've got to rise above the hypocritical crowd to really get a glimpse of who Jesus really uh, is. The first point in this story I want to bring out a few, that, few today that I want to focus on is if you want to see Jesus, you've got to get hungry for God. If you really want to see Jesus, you've got to get hungry for God. A lot of times we hear people say, well, I just don't have time for my devotions. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time for prayer. I'd say probably the reason you don't have time for your devotions, prayer, and reading your Bible 
is because it's not a time management problem, it's a hunger problem. Not a time management problem, it's a hunger problem. I mean, we know this physically. When you get hungry, you don't have to find time to eat, you make time to eat. Think about it. Jesus is looking for people whose stomachs are growling. When your stomach is growling, your choices show that your stomach is growling, right? Hungry people don't wait for food just to drop out of the sky. They go get it. When you get hungry enough, you'll run over somebody to get it. Amen? Not pointing any fingers anywhere. But anyway, you'll run over people. When you get hungry, what I'm saying is you'll adjust your lifestyle to make room and time for a meal. You know, the same is true spiritually. God wants us to go deeper in our relationship and our walk with Him. But the problem is we've let ourselves be satisfied by feeding on all the other things of the world when God really wants us to get a lot hungrier for Him. And of course, I'm talking about spiritual hunger. Listen to what it says in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I like another translation. It says, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want to ask you this morning, are you hungry for a spiritual renewal in your life? Are you hungry for a spiritual renewal that is promised all through His Word today? Think about it. Think about in the natural. When athletes want to go to the next level, the coach asks them, how hungry are you? How bad do you want it? One way a doctor determines the health of his patients is their appetite sometimes. And if they don't have an appetite, that doctor knows that something else deeper might be going on in their life. So how then do we explain Christians who do not have any spiritual appetite, they have no hunger for God, because hunger is the number one sign of a spiritual passion in your heart for God. This Zacchaeus guy, he was so hungry for Jesus that he set aside his dignity to show it. He set aside his dignity to do it. Maybe our problem today is we're not hungry enough. Maybe our problem is we're not desperate enough for God. Maybe our problem is we're not desperate enough because desperate people take desperate measures to see Jesus and you really don't care who else is looking when you do it. I mean, think about Zacchaeus. I don't believe he really cared what other people thought when he was shinnying up that tree to get a better view of Jesus. But what made Zacchaeus different from the rest of that crowd that day was that he had something deeper going on in his life. He was desperate for God. He was hungry for forgiveness. He was starving because of his sins. And he knew something had to change. Zacchaeus gave up his dignity to look at Jesus because he was hungry for what Jesus could feed him. He was hungry for what Jesus could do for him in his life. Zacchaeus definitely was a hungry sinner. But do you realize that whole crowd was full of sinners? But they were hungry for what Jesus could do for them, what they could see Jesus do. They weren't hungry for Jesus, but that day God's salvation was poured out on a desperate man named Zacchaeus. And it's all because he got hungry for God. A hunger for God makes all the difference in the world. So let me ask you, are you hungry? And if you're genuinely hungry, I'll just say there's a sycamore tree nearby that you can climb. I mean, think about the paramedics. When they show up at a, an accident scene, first thing they do is brush the onlookers out of the way, get them out of the way because they have one focus. That's to save and to rescue those that are hurting. So again, my question is, how hungry are you this morning? God is looking for growling stomachs in the Spirit. God is looking for people whose insides 
are rumbling for more of God, are hungering and thirsting for more of God. I think the reason many of us aren't as hungry spiritually as we should be or could be is because we're full of all the wrong stuff. Let's just say we've been snacking on what the world has offered for too long. And we're satisfied. And we know if you eat enough snacks, what does it, it becomes a cheap substitute for dealing with your real hunger. We get satisfied with a whole lot less when God wants us to have a whole lot more. God doesn't want us to be content with spiritual fast food. I'll put it that way. You know, our world is content with fast food. Our world is just as content with spiritual fast food, with something that we can grab on the go, gobble it down, and get about our own business. When all the time Jesus says, no, slow down, stop. Come to me, come and dine and sit at the master's table. Amen? He's wanting us to take the time to put the brakes on in our life, to throw away or put away all the other snacks and say, Jesus, I can't live without you. Jesus, my hunger is, yes, for natural food, but my spiritual hunger is for you. Many of us don't feel spiritually hungry because we've taken things into our minds and our hearts that have suppressed that spiritual appetite. Those things have depressed it, suppressed it, put it down. We don't even realize how much we need what God has to offer. How many of you have ever had a day in your life, and I know we all have, that you feel like something is wrong? You can't put your finger on it, you can't explain it, you can't even understand it, but you know something is amiss, something's off. Well, that might just be the Holy Spirit prompting you to pray. But instead of praying, what do we do? Turn the TV on. Amen? What do we do? Pull out our cell phone. Go scrolling through our cell phone. Maybe we get on Amazon and do a little bit of shopping. What about the times when you feel rejected? What about the times when you don't feel good enough? A lot of times we just go out and say, well, I'll buy a new car. That'll make me feel better. I'll go out and charge it on my credit card, and and I'll buy a bunch of new clothes. I'll feel a whole lot better. Or I'll jump into this relationship that I have no business being in just because I'm lonely. Or I'll medicate myself on drugs or alcohol or whatever, and I'll get, like the song says, comfortably numb. What I'm saying is we deal with it in all the wrong ways. I deal with it in the wrong way some days. You deal with it, deal with it in the wrong way someday. But when it comes right down to it, much of us spend much of our week fasting from God catch that? We spend much of our week fasting from God, not for God. We're finding everything else to satisfy. Our appetite is definitely feeding on other things, but those other things aren't God at all. They're on everything else. So if you recognize that you're fasting from God and your spiritual tank is getting empty, guess what you need to do? Get hungry for God. That's the remedy. That's the remedy. That's the problem solver. Zacchaeus was so hungry to see Jesus that he set aside his dignity, and he had a pretty high position. Set aside his dignity, and when you get hungry for God, you're going to take desperate measures for God, and you don't care who's watching. Zacchaeus really didn't care who saw him shinny up that tree. Zacchaeus had something deeper going on deep in the inside of him because he was hungry for forgiveness. He was hungry for what Jesus could feed him with. Everything changes when you get hungry for Jesus. I remember when I was about two years into the ministry here, my Aunt Kate from down in Mount Vernon came up to hear me preach. She had never heard me preach before. My Aunt Kate was uh, my dad's sister. 
And uh, my Aunt Kate had carried a burden, I mean a heavy burden, over the loss of her son, the death of her son, for years and years and years. Her son Dale, my cousin, was a horrible alcoholic. And every weekend, Dale would go out and he would drink, he would uh, stir up some trouble somewhere, he would always get arrested every weekend, be thrown into jail... My aunt got pretty familiar with the jailers. They would call her and say, we've got Dale again. Um, uh, can you come and get him? Weekend after weekend, she would go bail Dale out of jail. She would bail him out of jail. One night they called. She got the call. She was expecting it. And she said, no, you know what? She's going to practice some tough love. She said, you know what? You just keep him. Let him sleep it off. Well, that night, my cousin Dale hung himself in his jail cell. She never forgave herself. She never got over that. But that Sunday when she came up here to hear me preach, I don't even remember what I preached on, but I do remember I gave an altar call. And my Aunt Kate was about two-thirds of the way down the aisle, and she almost came running to the front with tears in her eyes. And when she got to the front... I could tell already God was working on, that, on her to lift that burden from her, to set her free. And he did. He touched her, and she comes from a Pentecostal background, and she started getting exciting in Jesus. She started getting happy. She started shouting. She started speaking in tongues, and me being the man of God that I am. I started thinking, what's everybody else going to think? And it's like God put a check in my spirit. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what uh, anybody thinks. It only matters what Jesus thinks. And it only matters what Aunt Kate thought. And he set her free that day. He set her free. He did a miracle right here because she was willing to hear the Word of God preached. She was willing to let it do something in her spirit. She was willing to come to the front to have prayer and let God do a miracle in her life. And God did a miracle. All because she was hungry, like Zacchaeus, for Jesus. She got hungry for Jesus. If we can get hungry for Jesus, it can change every situation we're in. Because it puts him in that situation. It puts his provision in that situation. So we need to get hungry for Jesus, number one. Number two, Jesus knows where we are. Look at verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, You know, think about this story. It's Zacchaeus that crawled up in the tree. He wanted to see Jesus. But guess who sees him first? Jesus sees Zacchaeus first. He comes to that place where Zacchaeus is. And even if you're hiding, Jesus knows where you are. Do you realize that? He knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus was probably hiding up in that tree, just waiting for Jesus to pass by to get a glimpse of him, get a glimpse of the crowd. Back then in that day, It was inappropriate to see a man of that position, or really any adult man running, that was just kind of unheard of, let alone seeing a guy shinning up a tree and sit in the top of a tree. So think about this guy, rich and powerful man. He was a rich and powerful man, and in that day it would have been inappropriate for him to climb a tree. He's sitting up in a tree waiting for Jesus. But I have to give him a little bit of doubt, uh, benefit of the doubt, because he is only human. I would imagine that a part of him part of him maybe didn't want people to see because it could have put his position in jeopardy his standing in the community i would imagine him thinking this could open me up to a lot of ridicule a lot of mockery from the crowd so zacchaeus was hiding in that tree i said all that to say that i think when he first started hiding in that tree he was happy with hiding in that tree 
He was okay with just getting a distant glance of Jesus. He was okay just seeing Jesus and the crowd pass by. But Jesus knew he was there. Jesus absolutely knew he was there. Just like in the Garden of Eden, going back to Adam and Eve, when they sinned and ate the fruit in the garden, uh, because of their sin, they went and hid from God. God goes looking for them. He already knew where they were. But he goes looking for them and says, Adam, where are you? He knew exactly where they were. But he was actually referring to their hearts. Their hearts were far from God. And I think when Zacchaeus first climbed up in that tree, his heart was far from God. This morning, maybe your heart is far from God or not near as close as it should be. He sees where you are physically every day, every moment. He sees where you are spiritually every day, every moment. And when he got to that one place, nobody else saw Zacchaeus. He stopped and he looked up. And he saw Zacchaeus, which brings me to my point number three. Jesus knows us by name. That's pretty amazing. Jesus knows us by name. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Picture that for just a second. See, Jesus just surrounded by this huge crowd. When he gets to a certain place, he looks up in the crowd. He sees Zacchaeus, and he calls him by name. I don't know about you, but that tells me that indicates that Jesus wants to have a much closer personal relationship with each one of us than we can even imagine. He called him by name. To me, he indicated to Zacchaeus, everyone else might have missed you, Zacchaeus, but I didn't. I've been looking for you, and I see you. Maybe the crowd chose not to see Zacchaeus. Maybe they did. But Jesus chose to see Zacchaeus. Jesus made that choice. Let me just say this morning, Jesus is never going to pass you by. Jesus is never, ever going to pass you by. Jesus chose to stand still, look up, call, Laz call Lazarus, call Zacchaeus by name. Because he knew Zacchaeus' past. He knew his childhood. He knew all of his secrets. He knew all of his struggles. He knew all, every bit of pain that he had to endure and was still enduring. I believe he knew every tear that Zacchaeus ever shed from the hurts that he had dealt with in his life. And I said all that to say, maybe you're here today and you're struggling. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with some issue. You've got some problem going on in your life and maybe you're living in a sinful lifestyle and you can't even comprehend in your mind that Jesus would ever want to talk to you. Would ever want to look at you, let alone call you out by name. Maybe you can't imagine that he could forgive you <clears throat> of the sins of your past. And maybe you haven't lived a life worthy of his calling. Let me tell you, I've got some good news. None of us have. None of us have ever lived a life worthy of his calling. Jesus knows your name. Jesus is calling your name this morning. He knows exactly where you and I live. And you may be a follower of Christ. That's awesome. But every one of us, God has an eye on. When we get a little bit out of bounds, God's there. But it's up to us to see Him and to come back on track. But He's there to see us where we are. Point number four, God accepts all sinners. If you're taking notes, God doesn't just sort through the crowd and pick what sinner He wants to go for and throw the others out. God accepts all sinners second part of verse 5 says, I must stay at your house today. This is Jesus talking to Zacchaeus. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Back in that day, it was a sign of approval if you ate with somebody. It was a sign of acceptance. That's why the Pharisees, that's why the scribes, that's why the religious people didn't eat with so-called sinners. But think about Jesus. 
Jesus invited himself over to the house of Zacchaeus for a meal. Just like Jesus invites himself into our lives. Whether we accept it or we reject it, he's looking for you. He's looking for me today in, in different areas of my life. And after all, he's not the one that's lost. Have you realized that yet? It's us that are lost. And all we have to do, he makes it so easy, all we have to do is come to him. He'll take care of the details. All we have to do is we sang in that song, Surrender. But when I look at the acceptance of Zacchaeus into the family of God, that ought to encourage you like nothing else. That ought to encourage you of the love, the grace, and the mercy of the God that we serve. I mean, think about it. There is no sinner, absolutely no sinner that cannot be forgiven if they repent. There's no sin so big, so dirty, so dark that it can't be cleansed. There's no place so far that we can run from God that he can't reach and bring us back. There's no person so bad that he can't change their life. There's no heart so hard that he can't humble and soften that hard heart. And there's no impossible or complicated situation that you're in today that Jesus can't fix. Not a, not a one that he can't come and fix. So if he can reach a man and change his life like he did Zacchaeus, just think what he can do with your life. He can do that with every one of our life. He can reach out, he can reach us, he can bring us back, and he can change us. Look at verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. They said, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They couldn't believe it. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. And I think it's pretty fascinating that Zacchaeus called him Lord. Think about that called him Lord. It doesn't say that he had a relationship before that time, but all of a sudden he calls him Lord. Something changed in Zacchaeus. Anytime you're in the presence of Jesus Christ, things are going to change. They can't stay the same. It might be a pro progressive thing, but they're going to change. If you're really in the presence of Jesus and letting his presence into your life, you're going to change. This Zacchaeus guy, his whole passion changed. His attitude changed. All of his life he was about getting. All of a sudden, his life is about giving. You'll see that in a second. A relationship, and I mean a genuine relationship with Jesus, changed Zacchaeus from his core. Changed Zacchaeus and everything to do with Zacchaeus. I think it's interesting that the Pharisees knew exactly what Zacchaeus was, a sinner. But it was only Jesus that had a passion enough for this poor sinner to do something about it. Zacchaeus goes on, he says this, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Sounds like something has changed, right? Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, and he's probably cheated everybody out of everything, I will pay back four times the amount. You can't tell me that God didn't do something supernaturally in Zacchaeus' heart. I love this. When Zacchaeus got saved, he got saved all over. Amen. He got saved through and through. This guy that was willing previously to sell out his own family for money, all of a sudden is giving it away like it's Halloween candy, amen? I mean, he's just giving, giving, and giving. What happened to Zacchaeus? He realized money no longer had a hold of him. Money no longer had a hold of him. Zacchaeus had found a much greater treasure than money by far, and his name was Jesus. And he saw that Jesus was a greater God than money could ever be. Jesus loved Zacchaeus for sure. Money couldn't do that for Zacchaeus. Oh, he could have loved money, but it could have never loved him back. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, 
Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Did you see how he just included him into the family of God? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Did you catch that he didn't really go over to Zacchaeus' house to eat a, uh, eat a meal, to have supper? He went over to Zacchaeus' house to bring salvation. Jesus has a passion. And if you're a sinner, he has a passion to save you. And if you're a follower, he has a passion to strengthen you. He has a passion to turn you into all that he wants you to be so that through your life, changed by the Most High God, you can make a difference in other people's lives. You can bring them into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The last thing I want you to notice is that Zacchaeus and Jesus had something in common. They were both collectors. Old Zac, he collected taxes. Jesus collected souls. Zac collected taxes. He, Jesus collected souls. Jesus is looking for us, I believe, in order to give us two things. Jesus comes looking for us to give us two things. The first thing is spiritual salvation. That's why I said in verse 9, today salvation has come to this house. Do you realize what an awesome blessing that is? To know that you and I, who were once lost in our sin, through a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, and faith and trust in God through Jesus, can be made whole spiritually. We can be saved that's a blessing that I think we take way too much for granted sometimes. The second thing he's looking to give us is a relationship with him. Not just a relationship that's on today and off tomorrow, but a relationship with him day in and day out. Some people think, mistakenly think, that the only time we're going to spend any time with Jesus is when we get to heaven. That's not the truth at all. Jesus wants to spend time with you and me right down here on planet Earth. And someday, whenever we get to heaven, he doesn't want it to be a meeting of strangers. He wants it to be a meeting of old friends. Think about this. Your relationship with Jesus is just going to carry on. It's just going to carry on from your time here when you put your trust in him. I will say this. There are two times, mainly two times, that we go looking for God. I think that most of us fit into this first category. We go looking for God when we lose everything. We go looking for God when we get into a critical crisis situation. C.S. Lewis once said that pain is God's megaphone. I believe God allows pain in our life to get our attention. Pain is God's megaphone sometimes. But then you have people like Zacchaeus, that he didn't go to Jesus because he had lost everything, but because he had everything. He had everything money could buy. He had it all, but yet he was empty. Yet he still had this void in his heart, this void in his life that only Jesus could fill. You know, when we read the Zacchaeus story, if you really pay attention, you can't help but see your story in his story. And we get a picture of what Jesus did for us. When I think of Zacchaeus, he deserved to be despised. He really did. In the natural, he deserved to be despised. You might say even in the spiritual, he deserved to be despised. What did Jesus do? He invited him into fellowship. He invited him to come have a dinner with him. Even paying him the highest compliment of that day was to go and have a sit-down meal with somebody. That was a major compliment. You realize that's what Jesus has done for us? We deserve scorn. God gave us grace. We deserve scorn. He gave us mercy. We deserve rejection. God invited us into his fellowship. We deserve death. He gave us life. Amen? He did all that for us because he loved us. Isaiah 51 verse 17 puts it in perspective. It says, he drank the cup of judgment so that we got the cup of joy. 
He got the cup of judgment, we got the cup of joy. Maybe you need to go out like Zacchaeus and climb out on a limb of a spiritual tree today. And I'm going to say that tree bring the old rugged cross. Climb out on that tree called the old rugged cross because Zacchaeus climbed that tree, remember why? Because he was despised by everyone. Jesus hung on that tree because he was despised. Deuteronomy 21 verse 23 says, Cursed or despised is everyone who is hung on a tree. The Jews regarded anyone that hung and died on a tree as being cursed, being forsaken by God. But if you dig down into the crux of this story, what really happened was Jesus traded places with Zacchaeus. Jesus traded places with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus got the warmth of fellowship. Jesus got the scorn. Zacchaeus got the joy. Jesus got the pain. 2,000 years ago, Jesus climbed out on that limb of a tree called the cross by his own will. He willingly laid down his life. And you know for who? For you and me this morning. For who? For this world this morning. He willingly gave his life. God is here today. Do you realize that? He's in this house. He was here before we got here. He's looking to save us. He's looking to live big in us. So the question I want you to ask yourself today, are you looking for Him? And whether you're saved or you're not, are you looking for Him? I mean, how many days, and I'll have to confess this, I have days in my life that I'm not looking for Jesus as near as much as I should, and I'm a preacher. So I know if that's true for me, it's true for you. Are we looking for Him? And if you're looking for Him, I guarantee you're going to find Him. He says, the day you search for me with all your heart, that's the day you're going to find me. That's the day I'm going to be found. I love what uh, Jesus said in the book of Revelations. He said, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So if you hear Jesus knocking on the door of your heart today, why not open it up? Why not invite him to come in and be the Lord of your life if you've never made him Lord and Savior? Why not invite him to come in and be a part of, bigger part of your faith walk uh, than yesterday? Why not open that door and say, Jesus, come in. A man by the name of Lord Kenneth Clark, known for his television series called Civilization, admitted in his autobiography that while visiting a beautiful church one day, he had an overwhelming religious experience. This is what he wrote. He said, my whole being was overwhelmed by a kind of heavenly joy far more intense than anything that I have ever known before. But as I described it as the gloom of grace, it created a problem for him. If he allowed himself to be influenced by his spiritual yearnings, he knew he would have to change. And his family would think that he had lost his mind. And so this is what he concluded. I was too deeply embedded in the world to change my course. I was too deeply embedded in this world to change my course. And as far as we know, before he died, he never made Jesus Lord of his life. Let me ask you today, are you too deeply embedded in your world today to change course? Whether you're saved or you're not saved, we can be too deeply embedded in this world. And it's not that we can't change course, it's like we won't change course. Today, I'm compelling you to change course. I'm encouraging you to change course because Jesus is right there to lead the way. Zacchaeus had a pretty comfortable way of living. 
Jesus stepped in and changed his life. He can do the same thing for you. When Jesus got to that one place under that tree, he looked up, called Zacchaeus by name, and asked him to come down, actually commanded him to come down. Zacchaeus had a choice to make at that moment. Do I stay up here apart from Jesus, or do I come to him? Guess what he did? Maybe he jumped down out of that tree. I can imagine almost that. At least when you get partway down, he just jumps out. He came to Jesus. And I guess maybe this whole message is saying no matter where you are in your life, no matter how high you are in that tree, no matter how far you think you're gone, you're not too far gone for Jesus. He sees you. He's looking for you. He wants you to come to Him. So if you've never come to Jesus and made Him Lord of your life, today is the day. Today is the day to say, Jesus, I've tried it every other way and I haven't made it and I never will make it without you. And today's the day to say, Jesus, I need you to open your heart if you haven't before. And maybe you have already. Maybe you've made Jesus Lord of your life. But maybe there's still a whole lot of this world that's got its grips in you. A whole lot of this world that you need to be set free from. God wants our hearts. Do you realize that? He wants us to surrender our hearts to Him. And I mentioned, Jesus is a collector of souls. Do you know how happy that would make Him if you've never committed your life, that He wants to collect another soul today? He wants to collect another two souls, another three souls? The Bible says that He doesn't want one to perish without Him but all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Could you stand to your feet this morning? Jesus is looking for commitments this morning. And He's also looking for recommitments. I couldn't even count how many times that I have recommitted my life to Christ. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting up every morning and recommitting your life fresh and new to Jesus Christ. But if you've never made that first step of faith to say, Jesus, I need you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I've been like Zacchaeus, Jesus. I just maybe didn't climb a tree, but I've been looking you for you from every other angle. Well, today he's in the house. And today he wants to fill your heart. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, and we're going to pray this prayer together, but I want to start with a salvation prayer with all of us praying because, as I said, it's a recommitment prayer. But if you're making Jesus Lord of your life, He makes it simple. Even going to this scripture in Revelation, say this with me. Lord, I hear you knocking. I hear you knocking on my heart. And I'm opening that door. And I'm inviting you in to be the Lord of my life to be the Savior of my life. Thank You for dying for me on a cross, for being raised from the dead so that I could live for You. Thank You for saving me and being the Lord of my life. If you just prayed that prayer, your name has just been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life if you prayed it for the first time and meant it. Father, I thank You for today. I thank You for the story of Zacchaeus. I thank you, Lord God, for the incredible truth in this, what some call a child story. Lord, I pray you'd put within every one of our hearts a spiritual hunger for you, more than we've ever had before. Let us become so desperate for you, God, in our hearts that we stop worrying about what others might think about us. Help us to live for you like we've never lived for you before. And Lord, if we're hiding any area from you in our life or any sin from you, convict us to repent and to come to you for forgiveness. 
Lord, you know where each one of us live. You know where each one of us are in our walk with you. And you're calling us by name. Lord God, I pray you'd forgive us of anything in our lives that shouldn't be there. And Father, I pray that you would transform us into being all that you've created us to be. I thank you, Lord God, for the hunger in this place. I thank you, Lord God, for the things that you're doing from this day forward in so many lives today. Change us and transform us for your glory today and forever. And if you agree with that, would you just say amen with me?